This episode is brought to you by the Pizza Boys. We deliver the meats. Go to the EJMstore.com for the official Pizza Boys merch. And look out for the Pizza Girls coming soon. And now, back to the show. And welcome to another episode of Deal Talk. I'm Deal. Let's talk. I would like to welcome my guest of the evening. He's the founder of Devin Rich European Martial Arts School. Give a warm welcome to Stephen Fick. Well, thank show. you for joining me. It's been, it's been an honor. I've been watching some of your content. Um, I can't remember the exact video I was watching, the name of it, where you were showing how to take the sword out of uh, the case. It, it was. Oh yeah, like drawing your sword. And... Yes, yes, it, it was. It was amazing. I, I it was amazing. Um, how? What inspired you to 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 start this? Well, it actually started at a Renaissance fair back in 1988. Wow! I went to a Renaissance fair, and uh, a friend of mine was invited to go join another group for and to get into armor and have a fight. And he asked me if I wanted to go along. At the Renaissance Fair, my guild leader for my character gave me the name Davenrich. And that's where the name of the school comes from. Nice. I, just, I just liked the way it sounded. You know, I went by Stephen Davenrich there and just sounded good. So I wanted to keep it. So he invited me to a uh, fight. I am an 18-year-old kid. You know, I read all the sci-fi and fantasy books. I'm like, this will be easy. They're in armor. I have my little pokey sword. I'll run around and poke them. <laughs> I did not know that they were going to put me in armor as well. And so I was, my very first fight, I was in armor that did not fit me. And my only instructions were, they're going to try to back you up. Don't let them. Wow. What, is it, what yeah. does that mean, back you up? Like pin you in a corner? Yeah. Yeah. And let and you have it? Go. So I figured, well, if I'm not going backwards, I must be going forward. So I screamed and ran at him. And he stepped to the side, batted me in the back of the head, and I tumbled. Wow. That didn't work, so I got up, screamed, and ran at him and did it again. And uh, that was my first fight. Wow. And and, And this is the moment that led to everything you've done so far. It is. And uh. That gentleman is, we are still really good friends from fighting 35 years ago, and he and his family were just at my house. Wow, that's amazing. So, like, you fell in, you fell in love with, with, like, the suit, the armor, the, the, the style, the whole, uh, I don't want to say gimmick, but the lifestyle, right? Because that, that essentially is like a lifestyle. It really is. But, I mean, it started way before that. In high school, I was... You know, reading the sci-fi fantasy books, D&D, all that stuff. You know, back in the early 80s, the the nerds that were reading all that, we were picked on. Yeah. And so uh, when I found that I could actually go and do it for real, it was amazing. So that I was just already had a foot in that camp. Mm-hmm. Isn't, it, isn't it fascinating that if you fast forward to present time, everybody is doing it yeah whether comics or, or renaissance fair like everybody's doing it. it's a it's a normal thing it was not uncommon back in those days for gamers to take the big thick D books mm-hmm. to school 
because you had to use those to protect yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey. <laughs> so what what are what are some uh, some of the things you teach at your at your school? Well, so I fought in that armored company for six years, okay. and now here I teach medieval and renaissance martial arts mm. so think of game of thrones lord of the rings uh, yes. three musketeers that kind of stuff wow. we do uh long sword like game of thrones we do rapier like the three musketeers knife fighting grappling pugilism have you ever heard of pugilism no never pugilism is the great grandfather of modern boxing so you've seen it where the guys are standing like this. Fisticuffs. Yep. Right? It's where modern boxing came from. We also do uh, armored combat and even lightsaber. Nice. A buddy of mine from Australia was General Grievous. So in episodes two and three, wow. he was General Grievous. And so I've worked with him. He was also a Jedi in the uh, arena fight and nice. so I've worked with him and between playing with him with lightsabers and then my experience we have a lot of fun with lightsabers here wow that's awesome that's awesome it's you know it's one of those things that's like you're 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 um you're doing what you love right and like it's not like it's not like you've worked in a day in your life because everything you do you love it right Oh, it's one of the neatest things that that hit me early on is I travel around the world. I teach people how to do this at other martial arts schools, uh, at uh, workshops. I choreograph and consult for TV and movies and things like that. One of the things that hit me early on was I was sitting at dinner after a workshop, having a beer with all these people from the workshop. And I realized I'm at work. This is great. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. What are what are some of like because obviously like what is that transition when when you're teaching like these actors or or is it something difficult for them to grasp on or, or they quickly like they 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 get excited? And that often depends. So a lot of actors have multiple trainings under their belt. And that can include dancing. And people who dance also understand how their body moves. And they can remember choreography. And actors are also used to memorizing lines. Mm -hmm. So it's something that they're good at. Uh, I like to think of choreography not as theatrical combat. Mm -hmm. I teach theatrical violence. Because it doesn't necessarily need to be a fight. I once, you know, uh, I also choreograph slaps, right? I slap somebody on stage. I need to hide it from the whole audience, right? So it's not always fighting. But when I'm working with them, I think of theatrical violence and martial violence like two sides of the same coin, mm -hmm. heads and tails, if you will. In it's the same coin. In both instances, we are using timing and distance. In the martial sense, I am trying to steal and lie from you. I want to steal your time and I want to lie to you about distance. 
in the theatrical side, we are stealing and lying from the audience. We steal their sense of safety and lie about our danger mm. so that we can do use time and distance to do this same fight over and over and over again. I get it. It's, it's, um, it's form of entertaining in a safe way. Yes. Um, and that's why I do theatrical violence because sometimes it'll be with a sword, sometimes a knife, sometimes your hands, sometimes a, a brick or a rock, right? Yeah. It could be anything. What is like, what is your favorite combat weapon? A lot of that depends on what I'm walking into. Um, my go-to, because it's what I grew up on, is the longsword, like Lord of the Rings. But I have an amazing time fighting with tomahawk and knife. <laughs> nice. That's a, that's a good combination. And the way I always describe tomahawk and knife or any of these is I'm here. I need to be here. And all the other guys are in between. But there's the end of the ship here. So I cannot go this way. I have to go this way. So it's super aggressive and just moving right through people. Wow. That sounds like fun. It, it's a good time. And then you've got both hands moving at the same time. You've got footwork. I've even done it on board boats. So then you've got the rocking of the boat going as well. Wow. So it's it's, it's uh, intense and almost like you're living in real time everything that's occurring yeah and and you've got the adrenaline going and you the um the anxiousness and also the excitement yeah i can imagine i can imagine it's 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 addicting it's addicting right. i mean you've been doing it for quite some times yeah i uh like i said earlier i started in 89 i fought with that company for about 6 years but then the company broke up mm. and I lost all my best friends and all the people that I fought with, but I needed that adrenaline. So I became a firefighter. Nice. And that way I had the community and the adrenaline and the training and the physicality. And then in 2000, I started the school and I focused on that as opposed to fire. Wow. And 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 in one sense, like, has you, you doing this help you, like, become a, a good firefighter? Like, the, that experience of life and death and danger? It has. Well, more than the life or death, what it really comes down to is the amount of self-control that you can exert on yourself. I was in a fight in armor one time, and... I was fighting this guy and I punched him in the side of the head. But when I punched him, as I was swinging my sword down with everything I had, his helmet strap broke. So all of a sudden I was looking at his bare face as I was cutting down at him with my sword. And I pulled my shoulder to the side and dropped my sword right on his shoulder next to his head. Laid my sword down and walked away. I didn't touch it the rest of the day because I came that close to killing my friend. Yeah, yeah. But that control helped me in fire because when my air started running low or I couldn't find someone, I was able to control my own fear and my own reaction to that. Wow. 
Oh, so it, it, it helped you. It helps helps you hand in hand. It you know, really does. Prepare you for either one. That's amazing. That is uh, amazing. Combat actions, martial arts, regardless of what it is, helps you develop a sense of self-control and stress regulation that translates to the rest of your life. Having to meet a deadline at work is not often as scary as somebody sticking a knife at your eye. Yeah, that is very true. That is true because I, I'm uh, right as of right now. No, because I, I'm hurt, but I practice jujitsu. Yeah, and, and I've I've said this numerous times in the on the podcast and speaking outside with people like uh, a bad day in jujitsu, it's a good day outside. Because, you know, it, it all that animosity, all that buildup, you know, like almost like decompresses you. It yeah. helps you able to focus and function on the outside. So things that we, we will think is like, oh, my God, it's the end of the world. It's not really that serious. Yeah, it's a uh, uh, I have people when I tell them what I do, they're often like, well, I wouldn't want to meet you in a dark alley. I'm like, <laughs> why? I'm the perfect person to meet in a dark alley. I'm the one that's going to walk you out. <laughs> yeah. Essentially, yeah. Now when you when you put on this armor, is it is it heavy for you or as through the years you 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 made it um I don't know, you can make your own, right? Well, no, well, you can if you have the experience, but it, mm. there's I customize it for you. Right. Uh, but armor is like an armor smith is like a tailor in metal. So you could make your own clothes, but it's not going to look very good mm. unless you've got the experience as a tailor. And an armor smith is able to do that. Like this suit right behind me, uh, that's my older suit. Uh, that one weighs about 90 pounds. Wow. My current suit weighs 65 pounds. Okay. And so, best diet ever. I lost thirty pounds and, and build up and build up muscle. Uh, my neck, my back. It's funny when I go to get uh, measured for suits. I am a petite fifty-two. <laughs> wow! It's because you're wearing the kit on my back and my neck. The helmet itself is probably eight pounds. Wow! Eight nine pounds. So. Any head movement, right? Like in boxing, we slip, mm -hmm. right? We do that kind of thing. You slip under the arm. I can't do that with a nine-pound helmet on, but I have to build up my muscles to move everything as a unit. Yeah, it's like you got to get accustomed to it. I can imagine yeah. when you when you started as a firefighter, um, had experience maintaining that 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 heavy armor. Uh, did you a great help? Oh, it really did. Uh, a few years ago, there was a TV show out called Knife or Death, which was a competition cutting show. And I was a competitor on this show in Georgia in June, dressed up in uh, the clothes that I wear when I do demonstrations at libraries and schools, which was heavy leather boots, leather trousers, and a linen shirt. But then I had all the safety equipment under it in june in georgia so it's 90 degrees 80 percent humidity and everybody's like are you okay i go yeah it's not that bad i'm not in armor yeah 
Wow. That's, that, that's, I can't imagine that. That's like an amazing experience for you and, and whoever's trying it for the first time. Yeah. And so it really helps us. It helps you self-regulate whether it's on the inside or the outside. Yeah. 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 Have you, have you traveled the world? Like uh, you're, because I know you're, you're, you're one of the name of your school has Europe and have you gone to Europe and, and, and teach over there across the pond? I have taught, competed, and fought in the U.S., Canada, Mexico, uh, England, Scotland, Wales, Amsterdam, France, Australia, and New Zealand. Wow. So wow. Uh, in my school, when you walk in to the main training floor, there's flags hanging down. And these flags are all the different countries I've taught in. So I go and I, every time I teach in a new country, I buy a country flag to hang up so that I represent that country in my school. Nice. Nice. That's, that's beautiful. Um, are you, are you a fanatic of like King, the stories of King Arthur and, and drags and whatnot? I was. And then I found history. Mm. The stuff that goes on in history, nobody would believe. Uh, there's, there's things that have happened historically that if an author wrote it down, nobody would believe it. And so reading history has become my new, uh, my new go-to for excitement. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I still love, uh, the sci-fi books, right? The fantasy books. I really enjoy reading those, but I intersperse them now with history and then I can see similarities. It's like Game of Thrones mm-hmm. is based on the War of the Roses, which was a civil war in England in the late 1400s. Wow. And that's what the whole storyline is based on. So it's basically just a retelling of history. That's a, is that the new one that came, just came out recently? or, or No, that's old? the old one. Oh, got it. Okay. Okay. Is there, is there any, when you're doing your research and you're reading, you know, the history, like, is there any, like, story or something that, that like, calls your attention and, like, like, leaves you, like, in shock that you have read so far? Oh, yeah. I, um, the Battle, uh, the War of the Roses, so, uh, which was late 1400s, uh, that's one of my favorite time periods in British history. And I've done a bunch of reenactments over in the UK where uh, I go to I go to Europe to get my fix because <laughs> I can't get it here in the US. No, so they're watered down the, over here. Yeah, I was on the bo- battlefield, 2,000 people on the battlefield, swinging swords and halberds and spears, cannon on the side shooting. So the whole field is covered in gun smoke. And archers shooting arrows into the lines. So that's a, that was set during the War of the Roses period, and a battle called Tewkesbury. And just when you read about it, and then you can be on the battlefield, it's some crazy things that the literature and life coming together. Yeah, I can imagine over there, and like in, in Europe, just over there in general, like they have more. An iconic scene 
regarding this than over here, right? Like it's it's more vivid. There, it is that, uh, but also because of their medical system, which they have a better medical system than we do. So they can, you get hurt, you just go to the hospital. Uh, I was at one battle and I got jumped from behind. I went forward, my helmet slipped. And when I hit the ground, the brim of my helmet drove right into the top of my nose. So I got up, wiped the blood off my face and went back into the fight. Wow. Got off the field and my wife says, you need stitches. I said, I'm okay, it'll heal up. I've broken my nose before, it'll be fine. Finally, she makes me go to the medic's tent. And I walk into the tent and I tell the lady at the table, I need to see the doctor. My wife says, I have to. And she says, doctor's not here. He'll be here in a minute. So I'm sitting there waiting. And this guy walks in with his helmet in one hand, his sword in the other hand. And the lady says, the doctor's here. I'm like, he makes his own customers. You don't get any better than this. <laughs> How, how's your wife supporting you with this? Like, Oh, she's amazing. Is she also uh, into it as well? She is. We actually met at Renaissance Fair. Nice. That's beautiful. Uh, we're married at a Renaissance Fair. Nice. That's awesome. And then 20 years later, redid our vows at the same Renaissance Fair in the same clothing with many of the same friends there with us. Wow. That's I mean, crazy. how often do people get to do that? No, never, never. And just recreating a special event. Right? With a lot of the same people. It's amazing. That is awesome. So, yes, she's very much into it. But her advice every time I come back injured or battered or broken or whatever is... She's going to ring your faster. ears. Yeah. No, move faster. Block better. <laughs> That's the advice I get. The, does she also uh, uh, partake in, in, in teaching and training others as well as with you? She does not. Uh, we When we got married, we retired. And went to Europe for six months. And we just spent six months traveling around Europe. Figured, let's do it while we're young. And we can climb all those stairs. Then we'll come back and work for the rest of our lives. As opposed to doing it the traditional way. Work until you're 70. And then you can't do as much. Yeah. But after we got back, we adopted a child. And so I was working at night. And she's a realtor. So I had the child during the day and she had at nighttime. So she couldn't do all of the training with us. Got it. But I now, because our kid is in the twenties and out of the house, we, she can now travel with me. So I've taken her to Australia uh, earlier this year. I took her to Mexico and we climbed up an Aztec temple together. Nice. That's awesome. That's awesome. You're living the dream. You're living life, man. That's beautiful. I even got to fight on an Aztec temple one time. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, I'm happy. My wife's a realtor, too. So All right. I, yeah. I, so you I know how much they work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every day. Every day. Every night. A phone call or something. Yeah. So, so she helped. I, one of the biggest supports that she did was watching our kid at night so that I could come in here during the uh 08 recession just helping me with you know keeping everything going and yeah so it's wonderful she's a she's an amazing partner i meant to that I meant to that um you you wrote a book too i was doing some research you wrote a book 
I did. Um, I've, it's called The Beginner's Guide to the Longsword. And I actually have two others in the pipe. One is called The Author's Guide to Swords and Armor. So when authors are writing books and they want to know what kind of sword would this person have in this time period, they can look it up and get a generalization of what swords, how much they would weigh, and what it would look like. And so they can put that into their books. Nice. And the other one is called The Secret Language of Conflict, which is body language within the fight. Oh, that's a book I wanted to buy. I would yeah, buy that book. There's lots of body language books, but it's all sitting in the office or going on a date. My book is in the fight. If you can read their body language and read their balance, you can tell what they're going to do before they do it. So you can be where they're going to be before they get there. And you've already countered them. Yeah. And that's and what's, 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 what's ironic about that is that that's something martial arts teaches you. Yeah. Every martial artist does it, but it takes a minimum of 10 years of just getting beat up and being on the floor. If you're not rolling, you're not going to know how to realize what this feel in your opponent's shoulder means. Yeah, very true. Very true. I know. Yeah, continue. Yeah, you learn it. We all learn it the hard way. Correct. And for years, I thought I was a lucky fighter. I was just in the right place at the right time until I sat down and started thinking about it. And then I was able to figure out why I was in the right place. And I've created a pedagogy that I can teach you my system in, I can teach it to you in two weeks. No, I can teach it to you in three days. You can practice it. You can be good at it in two years. And in four years, you'll be great at it. Nice. I just cut six years off of your training minimum. And regardless of the art that you study or the other person does, or no art, you know, they're a street fighter, whatever. We as humans have to move in the same general ways. So there's certain tells and signs that once you learn to recognize, they can't surprise you, even if they're trying to be tricky. That's that's amazing. That's amazing. Is there is there like is there anything you still want to do or still haven't done yet regarding what you do? There is. Um, two places I'd really like to teach. Uh, South Africa, because I want to hit a new continent, but I would love to go and teach in the Middle East, Iran, Iraq, something like that, the old Persian Empire. Nice. Because I could show them what I do, but really the reason I want to go there, I want to learn what they do. You know, the, there's such a heritage in the Persian Empire. Right? When you talk to the older people from the Iran area, they still call it Persia. They're not Iranians, they're Persians. And so that heritage goes all the way through and I'd love to go learn about that. What are their, do, do they use weapons, specific weapons? Because every every culture has like a, a, a weapon that identifies themselves, right? Right. And you're talking about like the Persian? The Persians, yeah. Yeah, so they use... Um, like tulwars, so they're curved saber-like swords. Mm. And they'll often use that with a, the sword with a small shield or a larger shield. God. I just, I was in Vegas in July 
teaching at an event called Combat Con. And I did a class with two other gentlemen, and it was one taught Persian and one taught African. So we did uh, sword and shield in comparing in Africa, Europe, and Persia. And it was, it was a fun class to do to see how everybody moves. It's amazing. Is there, like in your experience, do you find, <coughs> excuse me, do you find um, like a, a particular weapon better than the other one that you would say from all these weapons, this is the one that's actually like, is the best suited or has the most impact or just the way you use it? it in certain situations, yes. <coughs> uh, for instance, uh, when somebody swings a sword, they often bring it straight down. So in that case, they're using it more like a hammer or an axe, which is great. But if you want to use a hammer, get a hammer. If you want to use a sword, use a sword. Use it like a sword. So when you ask about different weapons, which would be better, really it comes down to where are you? Mm. If I'm in town... I don't want a big long sword like Game of Thrones. I want a rapier like Three Musketeers or a side sword. Uh, if I am fighting somebody in armor, I don't want something with a sharp edge like a katana because that's just going to break on it. So where I am dictates what kind of weapon is best suited. I cannot use a large weapon on board a ship. I need short weapons. But all things equal, it's not the tool that makes the fight. It's the user. Mm. So which tool is better? It's not the tool. It's whoever's using it. Who has better understanding and control. Got it, got it. <clears throat> have you ever, like, have you ever gone to, like, uh, let's say, like, I don't know, is it London? They're, like, to get knighted? I have not. Because I know, I mean, like you can do some, like you can do something like sir, that you get sir or something. I, I don't know the exact uh, terminology of it. Well, I was knighted in the Order of Saint John several years ago, uh, but I mean, we're in, we're in the USA. Right? It's so when I'm working with kids, they call me Sir Stephen. Mm. Um, but I'm not going to make adults call me Sir Stephen. <laughs> wow, you know, how pompous is that guy? Right? <laughs> um, so, yes, I did it, but it's not a legal thing like you would see in London. Yeah. But I have the honorific of it. It's It's a measurement of my training and how long, not a measurement, a recognition of my training and how long I worked at it. Just like uh, sensei or sifu. Mm -hmm. In the European tradition, we would be called maestro or master, which is just what they mean. Um, but because there's no direct lineage for, through the European arts, we don't use the term master or maestro because we can't trace it directly back. Not yet. Mm -hmm. Not yet. My goal is to one be, day be recognized by my peers as a maestro, but they call me that. I don't call me that. 
if that makes sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it's totally. It's like it's like you don't you don't say the you're the best. You you that people say you're the best. Right, right. Because you don't have to worry about the barking dog, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that no, quiet dog incredible. you got to watch out for. Yes, yes, yes. Have you have you um like I know you you got the 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 night one. Have you ever tried the like the samurai um gear? I have not had a chance to put that on. Uh I have fought with the katana. Uh but I've not had a chance to put on all of the samurai armor. Mostly because I don't know anybody that owns some. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it has to be much lighter, right? It is, because it's quite often made out of... There's pieces of iron in it, mostly over the chest, but a lot of it is lacquered wood and silk and rope. So it is lighter. Okay. Better better to, to maneuver the, the, the sword or the katana. Well, uh, it's a... It's a fashion thing, I think. Mm. Fashion often dictates the martial arts. And the martial arts dictate fashion. Because, and I wrote a paper on this years ago, how those two intertwine with each other. Uh, today, the most common trousers, other than jeans, uh, are cargo pants, mm-hmm. which is a military fashion, which is blended over into the civilian world. Mm-hmm. But if you look at military dress uniforms, they look like civilian suits. So fashion and martial arts intertwine, and that that they affect one another. So the samurai armor, it had its reasons for how it was made, but I think there was also a large piece of fashion involved into it. Yeah, yeah, I I totally agree. Because every... Every martial arts has his, his unique, distinct outfit. Right. You know, like in jiu-jitsu, it's the gi. But in, uh, like, Aikido, it's, it's uh, uh, I think it's, like, uh, black pants and a white shirt. The hamaka. Yeah, the hamaka. Yeah. And, and we see that in kendo as well. Yeah. And so, do you know what? The gi was just their everyday clothes. Mm-hmm. And the hamaka is just what they wore over their gi. So we train here at my school in street clothes. Okay. Because that's what everybody trains in. And you train in what you're going to fight in. Mm. Right? If I have women that spend a lot of time in high heels, I want them to do some training in high heels. Yeah, it makes sense. Because train in what, you, what you're going to do. You fight like you train, and you train like you fight. Yeah, you got to like be... It's almost like you're preparing for any situation you're prepared right. for. Like if a woman's walking down the street and, you know, God forbid somebody tries to attack her and she's in heels, she knows how to defend herself. Heels and a skirt. She knows how those move and exactly. what she can do. Yeah. Or a guy in heels and a skirt. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Somebody's in those, whatever they're wearing. If I'm in slacks and dress shoes that have smooth sole leather Smooth leather soles, those are going to be slippery. That's going to affect my footwork. You train barefoot, correct? Yeah. If you're out in the middle of the street and you've got boots on, 
that's going to affect how you move. Yes. And what you can do. Yes. Right. If if you stomp on my my foot, barefoot, it's going to hurt. You stomp on my foot wearing a pair of boots, that's going to hurt a lot more. So not only do you move differently, you have different sets of weapons you can use. Yes, 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 yes. So you train in what you wear. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. I never, I never thought about it that way. But yes, it's like you, when you're in a boxing match, you you have gloves, right? But when you're outside, you don't have gloves. And what's the most common injury to boxers when they're not wearing gloves? Uh, so uh... the boxers break right here mm-hmm. because they hit like they're used to when wearing gloves. Now they don't have that angle and that support, so they hurt themselves. Yeah. And they could, you know, basically ruin their careers. Yep. So that's why we always, I have some people that train in shorts, some people that train in pants, some people that train in dresses, whatever you're going to wear. That's what you're, that's what you should know how to move in. Wow. That makes, uh, that makes, that makes totally sense. I get it. It, It's, it, 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 it falls under like adapting. You're adapting to your surroundings. Yeah. Or you're, you're making that martial art your martial art because it's what you're used to doing and wearing. Yes. Right? So you are personalizing it. And yes. that's the key for any instructor. My job is I cannot teach you anything. I can show you how to learn it and I can give you the tools to learn it. But if you only repeat the words I'm giving you, you are only borrowing my information. But if you can put it into your words, your life, it is your information. Correct. Correct. You gotta, you gotta make it work for you. Correct. And you and I both have different histories, different experiences different bodily injuries we are never going to move exactly the same correct yes. nor should we try and one of the big studies i've done in the my martial arts is the physiological differences between men and women and there's a large difference in the joint development uh, between men and women and if you try to make a woman move like a man does because her joints aren't the same she can get hurt, but women are tougher than men. Most of us will just complain and stop. Women have been told their whole life that you got to push through it because you have to work twice as hard. Yes. And so they push through it and they get hurt and put out of the martial art because most instructors are males and they don't know the difference between the male and female physiology because they just haven't been introduced to it or studied it. Yes. That's a big study of mine. And then if you, you have a female instructor, the pressure is going to be a little bit more higher. Yeah. Because, um, yeah. But then you also have uh, the testosterone that comes into it. Mm. You know, some guys don't want to take instruction from a woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they have to prove themselves. And then, so there's a whole lot of stuff I can go into that. But once you learn the physiology, and you get an inter- you get introduced to it, you can now start seeing differences and help individuals make this art their art. 
whether it's jujitsu, kendo, European martial arts, you can help them make it theirs. Yes, I think that's one of the conversations I have with my my peers, and, and it <clears throat> excuse me, like I, I feel like it, it they lack the understanding when I've tried to tell them you got to make it work for you, you know, mm-hmm. like if if you if let's say we're practicing a triangle, right? Right. You try to do a triangle with somebody that's bigger and heavier than you, like it might not work. You might get crushed. His shoulders are broad, you know, so you got to, you know, you it's constantly adjust and use the move that worked for you. And yeah, it may not have worked with this person, but it might work with the other, but it's, it's, you know, continue to move and evolve and, and adapt. My favorite description of that is actually from Michelangelo, mm. the artist. He was asked one time about his sculptures. How do you create such beautiful sculptures like David? And he said, basically, I don't. They're already in the marble. I just remove the excess marble. <laughs> wow. Yeah. The art is in you, but it has to be your art, not somebody else's art. And we keep using the term art. Uh, I do this with my, my guys when they come in is the scientific process. Find a problem. You want to hit me in the face with a sword. I have a problem with that. Yeah. <laughs> Create a hypothesis. If I put my sword here, you won't do that. Test my hypothesis. Nope, that failed. I better try another one. And then be successful. But the completion of the scientific process is that somebody else can repeat it and get the same results. And that's what teachers do. Mm. The art is using that scientific process and putting it in different situations. Michelangelo and Picasso are both painters. They both use the same medium, but their pictures look nothing alike. The science of creating the art, uh, the paint and the pigments is the same. The use of that science is different. You and I will find a lot of similarities in our different in our arts. But those principles are utilized differently. And there's the science and the art. Yes, I agree. I agree 100%. Um, and, 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 and the research when you're reading, right? Um, and I only ask because I'm, um, I'm a big fan of it, right? So like when, you, when you've been doing your, your research and looking through history, have you ever found uh, like a hidden organization within what you do? I have not. No. Not yet. That'll be awesome. Uh, I mean... With that, that being said, there are things like you know the uh, the Masonic Order, the uh, Knights of Saint John. You get you get these different groups within it that you somebody mentions them once and that's it. But I've not come across any real information other than the occasional name. Nice, mm-hmm. uh, I, because it's you know you you never know when it comes to history, right? It's yeah. always you know. You know, we're always learning something new every day that they said it like this, but it was really like this or refining something new. So like, especially like what you do, you know, especially you go basically around the globe teaching people. So like, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't doubt there would be something like that, which will be awesome. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't doubt it either. 
because there's so much that I don't know. Mm -hmm. right? And so many places I've not been. And even the places I have been, I've only been allowed into a very small section of it because I'm not a local. Mm. All right. Or even if I was a local, I didn't necessarily grow up there. Yeah. And so there's always going to be levels of awareness that you can get. Yeah. I, I, I just can't, I can imagine because like there's just, there's just, and, and there's just certain philosophy. Right. And, and as I continue to speak to individuals like yourself and different arts, there's a philosophy of values. And at some point, like I can imagine, you know, it can't be shared with the world. Right. right. It can't be shared with the world because it's, it, it could easily be corrupted or, or used in, in the wrong hands. Like we tend to see in movies and whatnot. And that I have come across. There is a manuscript written in 1487 by an Italian master called Filippo Vadi. He says, this is a noble art and not fit for the peasants because they are like beasts of the field. Wow. So, uh, so yeah, there's that, that classist where, you know, this is only for us. Don't let the, don't let the peasants know about this. Um, the, our main manuscript was written in 1409 by an Italian master called Fior de la Berry. His manuscript is called Fior de Battaglia, which means the flower of battle. And in his book, he has a page that's called the Seño, or the sign. And he talks about the four virtues, which are, in English, judgment, speed, courage, and power. And he who would be, he who would be good in this art must know of these virtues, is what he says. Mm-hmm. Isn't it like, just, I, I, I fall in love with things like this because the philosophy is so amazing. But then you look at, like, in my opinion, mo- modern society, like, everything is such watered down. It is. And, and a lot of that is because uh, we don't have the same understanding of the physicality because we sit at a desk or we drive a car. We don't have to walk everywhere or ride a horse. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we lose a lot of the physical attributes that for them were common. Uh, People ask me often, when did training start? As soon as there was somebody else there that they could hit. Right. Children fight. That's what they do. When children fight now, we stop them. Back then it was expected. You'll you'll learn something from it. That fat lip is going to teach you something. That's when training started, but we don't do that anymore. And that's good because we don't need to do that anymore in this country. Yeah. But also, but also it feels like we, you know, and what I see like in, in this generation where like, it's, we're just live because we don't have that no more. We lose uh, the sense of building characters and values. Yeah. And we're like, we're just like, it's a line. It's just a line and where there's no ups and downs. There's no motions. You know, you need that roller coaster to, to have experience. Right. You need that failure. Yes. I tell my guys all the time, I hope you fail and I hope you fail quickly because failure is the opportunity to gain an information. 
Yes. 100%. If you don't sell, you're never going to get that info. Yes, correct. 100%. I agree with you 100%. So like, you know, when I, when I started my journey in jujitsu, right. I, for me, it's mental well to help my mental. Right. And I quickly, as I, you know, dived into it, you know, went down the rabbit hole, I, I quickly started capturing the values and, and, and yeah. thinking and, and, you know, my journey, you know, I fell in love with it. Like you fell in love with yours in 1988. Right. And, and when I speak to certain people, you know, they speak as we're, we're watching a fight, right. Or our UFC or Bellator or whatever, or boxing. And, but when I speak, I, I speak as philosophy, as life, you know, right. like, you know, I remember telling somebody, you know, we're practicing the back take, take somebody's back. So, you know, I quickly came, how do you drown and steal water? You're it's because you're moving, you're drowning yourself. Yeah. So when I when they when I was first practicing, I would just stay still. And they did all the movement. So I escaped. Right. When I when I was practicing to take their back, they're like, you know, they they're, you know, running around, they're trying to move, and I just sit patiently. And boom, I got the back. And it wasn't because I was good at it or I'm great at it. No, it's it's you know, yet again the philosophy. Right. Is that well, one of the things yeah. Uh, one of the things I tell my guys a lot is uh, fear breeds impatience. Mm. And in the fight, we need to learn to be patient. But we cannot be patient if we are fearful. And the fear is not necessarily of getting hurt. It can be fear of not doing as well as we think we should. Fear of not doing as well as we think somebody else thinks we should. Fear of not doing as well as they're doing. Fear of something. But that fear breeds impatience when you can beat your fear you can learn to be patient and react to anything appropriately yes i agree you're you know you channel some type of focusness yep you know but it all has to start in you yes yes i agree i i agree 100 percent. and speaking to like i said individuals like yourself um and others you know, the, the ones that really take it to a next level, like yourself, you see that, 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 that message, that yeah. philosophy, that, that meaning, you know, that the love that you have for the art and what, you know, the art has returned. Right. And yeah, I, I competed from 1989 to 2013. So long career of competing. I've had over 3000 fights. Wow. And I'm to the point in my career where fighting just isn't as much fun for me anymore, but I love the theory. I can sit and talk theory for a long time. And that's actually pretty, it's fun. Yeah. It's fun I when you're. Love this person. Yeah. It's fun when you, when you're like, you're seeing somebody talk to theory and you see how their mind is reacting and the mechanicals move. And, and everything they're saying is genuinely, and you could, it's love, essentially, it's love that you have for the art. And yeah. I think um, I, I, I understand you when you say that. I, I understand you because when, I, when, I, when I'm sitting with somebody that 
we're not talking watered down mixed martial arts. We're talking philosophy. We're talking history. We're talking, you know, you know, you know, it's like chess, right? Yeah. I, th- those for me, they're more enjoyable and memorable conversations. We have a game that we do here. Um, speed is important, but it's a tool. Power is important, but it's a tool. What really allows you to win the fight is not your physical self. It's how fast you can think. Mm-hmm. And so we have a game here where uh, we, we fence. We sit in a chair facing each other. And I say the first letter of a word I'm thinking of. And then you give me the next letter. And then I give a letter off that. If one of us says a letter that doesn't create a word or doesn't fit in there, that's the equivalent of getting hit. If you hesitate, you got hit. If you complete a word, that's the end of the phrase. You break apart and then you can start again. And that is fighting. And it's understanding the rules that make it work so that you can have a quick mind and re and respond, not react, respond appropriately to what's in front of you. Or more importantly, what's going to be in front of you. Because if you're in the now, you are too late. By the time you see it, it's already gone. You have to be in the and then. I, I agree. I, I agree 100% with you. Uh, Steven, it, it's been an honor speaking to you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity uh, and, and learning because I've, I've learned a lot. It's been a real pleasure talking with you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, before we go, tell the people where they can find you. Well, we have our website, which is swordfightingschool.com. All one word, just swordfightingschool.com. On Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube, we are Sword Fighting School. So we're easy to find. YouTube.com slash Sword Fighting School. TikTok.com slash Sword Fighting School. And Facebook is Sword Fighting School. So we are easy to find. There you go. Go check them out. Uh, If you're in LA, go, go pass by. Uh, oh, real quick, let me add to that. Yeah. We're in Santa Clara, San Jose. So we're in the San Jose area. Mm. So go check them out. Go go show some support. You know, go take some classes. Uh, and, and thank you once again. It's really been my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Have a good night, guys. I'm out.